Episode 25, Photographer Jonathan Potter. My name is Michael Delgado, and I'm your host. I come to you each week from the luxurious library bar in the magnificent Mayfair Hotel, right here in downtown L.A. Tonight, I've got a rendezvous with one Jonathan Potter. He spots me and slices his thin frame through the guests crowding the historic lobby. He sports a Hamburg-style fedora, horn-rimmed glasses, and a thick but neatly trimmed mustache. It's time to meet. You know Geiger's bookstore across the street? I think I may have passed. You know Geiger by sight? Geiger's in his early 40s, medium height, fattish, soft all over, Charlie Chan mustache, well-dressed, wears a black hat, affects the knowledge of antiques and hasn't any. Oh, yes, I think his left eye is glass. Hello. 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 My guest tonight is photographer Jonathan Potter. I met Jonathan recently during his installation at the Automata Performance Space in Chinatown, where he converted the black box theater into a giant pinhole camera. Jonathan's interest in photography started early, and he's largely self-taught. Wanting to explore ways to engage people in photography by involving them more directly in traditional or analog methods, Jonathan's work produces surprising results for both himself and his participants. But I'll let him explain. So, welcome John Potter. Thank you, Michael. It's fun to be here. Yeah. <laughs> had you been in the hotel before? I hadn't. This place is super cool, though. Like, I kind of want to come and invite all my friends back to stay here. But yeah, you know, and actually the rooms, surprisingly, are not that expensive. Yeah, good uh, to know. I have a friend who keeps visiting from uh, from Portland, and I think maybe he'd enjoy a nice hotel room. Yeah. Know, <laughs> instead of our couch. <laughs> well, yeah, for sure. <laughs> So, uh, are you originally from Portland? Then? I am. I'm originally from Portland, Oregon. Grew up there and moved to California a little over, a little less than 10 years ago to, for graduate school. Moved to Berkeley. Yeah, I read that in your bio. That it, and, is now, and I wanted to ask you quite a bit about that, actually. The, um, we'll, we'll talk about photography a lot, for sure. <laughs> but uh, I was just curious, because a friend of mine got a divinity degree mm-hmm. from Harvard. Yeah. And um, so I'm sort of familiar with the curricula, but I'm so the the school was GTU, That's right? right? Which yeah. is what the Graduate Theological Union. So it's a consortium of different. Um, it's a consortium of different seminaries on the north side of the Cal Berkeley campus. So it's sort of the religious school on the Cal Berkeley campus, more or less. But it's a, oh, okay. a few different religious organizations that have their seminaries. So they're independent, but they're affiliated with UCB. They are sort of tertiary, um, attached to UCB. So if you are in one of the uh, graduate programs at the GTU, you can also do a few classes at UCB. Oh, okay. So but like, it's a GTU degree. Correct, yeah. And so the, the, it's multi, uh, all different religions there. yeah right so I don't know what the word what am I looking for Multi- yeah or? ecumenical yeah, like there's a there's a lot of um, conversation across different religious backgrounds so there's a Jewish center um, there's a Muslim center then there's a, a few different versions of Christianity a few different flavors of Catholicism so my school of um, 
connection was the Episcopal school. Mm. Uh, so um, the Church Divinity School of the Pacific, which is a, an Episcopal school. And that's primarily where I studied. I also did classes with some of the Jesuits and right. some of the... Uh, I, I took some classes through the poli uh, school at UCB right. as well. And so the question for I had was like, well, that's fascinating. And I, I was just like, what drew you to decide to do that? Because they're not, are they, they're not seminaries. They are seminaries. They are seminaries. And there's also a cross-denominational master's of arts. So it's a non... Um, it's a non-divinity track. Uh, so basically it's an academic... Um, sorry, let me back up. So basically GTU also has a consortium-wide Masters of Arts program that is a non-divinity track, so a non-ordination track. And so I did an academic um, Masters of Arts in History, and I wrote on historiography. And the, As it related to particular religions, or yes, oh, yeah, totally. So, I, well, what I actually wrote my thesis on was secularization theory. So, the decrease of religion around the American Revolution, and I used that um, framework and illustrated it through the texts of the first American Episcopalian bishop. And looked at his uh, political writings as they related to the retreat and decrease of religion in the American life as so compared from, to Europe. So the basis of the puritanical thing kind mm-hmm. of was getting watered down around the time of the revolution because right, yeah, and you have it was part of the revolution. I'm assuming, yeah, right? they're being more open about different mm-hmm. religions. Yeah, and, well, and part of it too that's interesting is in the English context you have both. Um, politics and religion so intertwined and in America the way that that sort of changed and how that was negotiated through somebody who held an office of bishop which in in England would have been a political office and in here in, in the United States we couldn't have that as a political and that, office. And, then, and hence the separation of church and state. Yeah, down the line that's a little bit further down than the mm-hmm. American Revolution but yeah, that sort of idea of looking at um, a specific secularization theory of how we move from one place to another in religious life in the public and um, looking at some documentary evidence that sort of illuminates and problematizes those theories. Huh. Well, that's fascinating. <laughs> yeah. So, well, <laughs> I, well, that's cool. So what drew you to that? I mean, I, I, I just, well, you obviously like history. And, yeah. And, and, but out of Portland, is I, w- I would think like, you know, you would be drawn to American history because you're on the East Coast and there's, you're surrounded by, you know, yeah. musket balls in your backyard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, my mom is an Episcopal priest, and so oh. I think that's part of it. And I have my my father's side of the family has history in the United States dating back to, I think, the 1750s. Wow. So we have sort of a long family relationship with that, but also... From the history side, I think I wanted, I knew I wanted to look at something that I could use source documents with, mm-hmm. and I knew I wanted to do something that involved um, politics and public life. Hmm. Um, and from there, I kept reading all of these um, uh, mostly English historians that were kind of these historian philosophers where they would read like John Locke's entire library. Not like everything written by John Locke, but everything that was listed as in his library. And then from there, they would be able to draw out like these big understandings of how John Locke created 
his philosophies mm. and then create historical methodologies around these ideas from somebody's somebody else's writings and, I was, and it just I'd never I'd never come into contact with that kind of scholarship before yeah that's and I thought it was scholarly. really fascinating being able to look at specific texts and reach conclusions or at least reach a framework mm-hmm. through which to understand the past huh. interesting so but but was your uh, mom's expectation perhaps that you would also be ordained or, um i or not expectation but yeah not an expectation i did i actually did an exchange program in 2001 with a seminary that no longer exists outside of chicago when i was a like sophomore in college and um after that, after that exchange program, I, I decided I wasn't cut out to yeah. be a priest. I don't like I don't like people that much. I'm not I'm not I'm, I'm not a nice I'm not a nice enough person. I don't have that much empathy. So you know you just, you gotta. There are some gifts that I am not given with. Right, the patience. So I'm sure. Yeah. 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 No, uh, can't well, yeah. I, uh, from then, whence photography? Well, I've been interested in photography all along. I'm all pretty much 100% self-taught. And so I actually, someone asked me last night when was the first time I was ever in a dark room. And I had to think about it and I realized... Other than a confessional. Yeah. (laughs) The first time I was ever in a dark room actually was in high school, but I was the one setting up the dark room and I'd never been in one before. I was Mm. just like, I found boxes of stuff and we had an empty, like an actual dark room space, but no dark room teacher. And so I just started putting it together. This was in high school? This was in high school, yeah. And so... uh, you fig- just wanted to figure have it out. I just, I just wanted to see if I could make it work, and it kind of works. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I've been into photography for like a, pretty much my whole life, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's cool. Yeah, and then, really cool. and so now you make a living at it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, at least part of my living comes from actually taking people's photos or taking photos at shows, and right, I right. can't. I still can't kind of I still kind of can't get over how lucky I feel to have that opportunity. <laughs> sure. Sure, sure. So, yeah, it's really cool. So let's talk about your project where I met you. Uh, it was last night at the Automata. I think they call it Automata. I can never say it. <laughs> Automata. 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 You say Automata, I say Automata. <laughs> Anyway, yeah. How do they say it? Automata. Yeah. It's a cool space. It's next to the store. We've talked about it on the show before. But anyway, um, so you're, the name of your show was? Beyond the Visible. Oh, Beyond the Visible. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, uh, well, just you would tell us about it. Yeah. I enjoyed it. It was cool. Yeah, so we basically converted the Automata performance space into a gigantic camera obscura and darkroom so the front portion of it was like a photo studio and we had people come in and stand in a specific location sort of like a photo booth and then we guided them 
through the picture taking and pose, the posing process, made a photo of them, and then brought them back into the dark room, and they were able to develop their photo. Yeah, kind of like a giant pinhole camera, mm-hmm. but not quite close. Right? Yeah. It's kind of like a hybrid of like... Yeah, exactly. So we were projecting through the wall, we mounted a lens in the wall, and then it just projected back onto a piece of 8x10 photo paper. Mm-hmm. And we made, a, we made positives and negatives right there on the site. So anybody who came in and got their photo taken was able to watch their photo get developed, which is pretty yeah. satisfying. Which is fun. If you've never, cool. Yeah, if you haven't ever been in a dark room, it's, it's pretty fun. So. Yeah, and everybody had little red lamps and stuff. It's very silence of the lambs. Yeah, yeah. Everybody's kind of standing around in the dark, and you get, you get a little freaked <laughs> out as you move back into this from this very bright front room into a very dark back room, and you have no idea what's going to happen, and yeah. if you're going to trip over something. And yeah, and the, but yeah, but then, you know, and then the trays are filled with these liquids. And yeah, and it's it all, cool. It and smells a little. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. So, and, and then I, I was reading about your thing in all of that. I, I mean, part of what your interest is, is kind of like uh, living analog-ish in a digital world, right? <laughs> You're trying to, anyway. Yeah, no, maybe not even quite that extreme, but I think also I'm at the very beginning of the millennial generation and so I grew up listening to modems make funny noises and dialing up to the internet and now that it's so you know and I think I grew up excited about all of the things that we now have and now that we have them I'm not disillusioned but I'm a little bored of them and it's Mm. fun to kind of get your hands dirty again and so that's I think that's one of the things that I grapple with is how can we make how can we make things that are interesting and relevant, even though we have everything at our disposal at, on our phone yeah, in our cool. pocket? Ah. You know, and it's kind of like slow food. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, stepping back and thinking about it a little bit more. But definitely that sort of analog versus digital. And I mean, I shoot digital photos. I'm a I'm sure. a professional photographer. You can't not do that. But it's fun to match it with other stuff as well because mm-hmm. it's a different it's a different vibe it's a different look it's a different feel so. it's a different discipline for yeah sure. yeah totally yeah, there's certain there's something about the craft I yeah mean, I, I especially around photography you know like the the, the older cameras weigh a ton mm-hmm. and you know there's something about feeling them there's the physicality to it mm-hmm. yeah I love the tactility of it actually so the the project I built the project around three general tenants, um, being process, uh, connection, and physicality. So the three things that I was really interested in most were how does somebody go from being in front of a camera to holding an image of themselves? What, mm. What's the process that happens there? Oh, yeah. And then the sort of connection aspect of it was we had a bunch of volunteers that came out and helped guide people through this process. Very small groups, one-on-one interactions, and just like showing people how much fun it can be to do weird stuff that takes forever, but it's also (laughs) satisfying. Um, And then also the tangibility aspect of it. Like, what does it mean to be holding a photo that was just a few minutes before nothing like like a blank piece of paper right and instead now you have this thing with actual silver solids that have built up in it and you're holding an image of yourself that you made it's i think there's a lot of sort of weird things that happen when you're able to tangibly grasp 
something. Yeah. You know, so. Well, I own a bookstore. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, it's the exact same kind of thing. It's like the satisfaction of reading a book and who's read that book before you and... Yeah. Well, even just holding something tactile, yeah, and yeah. turning the pages and stuff. I love it. Yeah, no, there's something to... Well, I, you know, preaching to the choir, <laughs> so to speak, in the divinity school thing about mm-hmm. it um so uh, i was curious too like you just decided to do this i mean like what well <laughs> well i mean you know like the project can't look to me like it was uh, uh part of a grant or satisfying a grant or a fellowship or something and no and you just did it you would think you'd think i had that much sense wouldn't you <laughs> um no the, the Part of the impetus for the project was when my wife and I moved back to Los Angeles last year from Portland, from Portland right. our moving truck was stolen, what? the entire truck. Um, we'd unloaded a lot of our stuff, but it was just stolen off the street before we could finish unloading some of the bits and pieces. And in the, in the truck that was part of what was stolen was my archive of negatives dating back no. about almost 20 years. So I had lost Whoa. a huge chunk of my film archive, Ugh. which I guess I should be really upset about, but you know, like getting mad about it or getting, you know, upset's not going to change the fact that it happened, and so I just wanted to move forward and what it really made me think about was what was in that, what was in that archive and what is what do I want my archive to look like moving forward and what have I done in the past five years that's really been satisfying and really given me a lot of like artistic satisfaction I guess and that people have responded to really well and so I looked at a project that I did a few years ago where we did um tintype portraits so where we did wait what plate collodion yeah and we did a whole big series of them in the front room in our um apartment we had an event going on that summer and people, a bunch of friends were coming into town and so I made them all come in and we did portraits of them and I just loved the process of forcing somebody to come to my house and sit down and take a photo with me and um, so I kind of just wanted to do something like that but on a much larger scale mm-hmm. and involve other people than just me to help make it happen and so um, I have I had experience with the Automata space in the past and basically ever since we came back to Los Angeles. I'd been looking for a gigantic dark room that I could turn into a camera. And I reached out to the um, the folks who do programming for Automata. And I asked if there was ever a chance that I might be able to use the space. And uh, I thought I'd get it within a residency that they were yeah. that they had. But as it turns out, it just didn't work out. But they offered to let me use the space for a week. Wow. And so, yeah, they very generously donated yeah, the space for people. us. And yeah. yeah, it was great. But yeah, it was just a... Totally, I managed to talk everybody into helping me out, and <laughs> it was quite the production because we had a lot of people involved, and yeah, they were I, all well, very excited. Yeah, being sitting there in the store next to you, watching it come together and then experiencing it was fun. So, are you going to do it again, or if in we, a bigger scale, yeah. or, not, or not, or what did you learn? We would like to do it again. We would definitely like to see if we can get a grant that'll help pay for it. Um, we definitely learned some logistical things, moving people through the space and, right. and occupying the amount of time that it takes for chemistry to happen. And um, I think that some of the 
conversations that we had with people were really valuable uh, in terms of understanding what was fascinating to people and what was maybe not as interesting. Um, and so it was a really good learning process for mm. us. Yeah. What was that? What was what did the people respond to mostly? Well, in weird ways, people really. It was really awkward because we had, we we forced people to sort of stand in front of the hot lights for a little bit longer than they probably wanted to, mm. um, and in small groups, they had to figure out what they were going to be posing, and then all of a sudden we would be ready to take the photo, but they'd been standing there for five minutes waiting, and so I think there's, there's both an anticipation, but also people just get tired of standing in front of hot lights. Yeah. Um, and so I think being able to negotiate how do we talk about the project with them before they have to stand in front of the lights, oh, right? right? And then also um, making sure that we give people maybe a little bit more time to actually see the camera. Like, I don't even think you actually got to see the camera because no, you ended up... Lens yeah, the so yeah. we have the whole back section where we can talk about, like, how do you do focusing? How oh. do you mount mm -hmm. the paper on there? Um, and what is what does it mean to be in the camera section and be the photographer where you're tripping the shutter, but you can't see anything happening out front. And like exploring those ideas of like, I'm back there counting off three, two, one, and we're about right. to take a photo, but I have no idea what's going on on the other side of the wall. <laughs> right, that and didn't so, occur to me. Yeah, yeah like, funny. and so there's like some trust and communication with the other people you're working with. And so being able to like negotiate how the stewards communicate with each other mm -hmm. and with me and really making those communications meaningful for our visitors, I think is really fascinating. Um, yeah, that was a cool aspect of it. And then uh, and, and watching it develop is always cool. I mean, yeah. It's always fun to have it, the image suddenly, you're sort of slowly appear. Yeah, yeah. And I think next time we would add a second set of chemistry so that we can develop both the positives and negatives at the same time. You know, so we can have two groups in the darkroom at a time. And oh, that was that was one of our sort of... A little bottleneck. The bottleneck, yeah, that yeah. we had in terms of moving bodies through the space. But you got a lot of people through there, there yeah. right? And you were only there for like four or five hours? Yeah, we were there from four to nine, and I think we made... I actually didn't end up counting, but I want to say we made 25 negative and positives. So 25 groups came through. Yeah, that's pretty cool. good. And I think... A couple of the groups were just singles, but mostly it was two to four mm -hmm. people at a time. We had one group that was six, and they came through at the end of the night, and they were just—they were great. They were—they were all very excited. We weren't sure we were going to be able to fit all their heads in the photo, but it seemed to come out. <laughs> Which is funny because you can't see them, so you can't say, "Hey, you move over here." That's right. Actually, with that group, they were so big. I—I I was looking at the image on the ground glass and showing it to somebody. And I wanted to make sure that we got them all in. So that was the only time that entire night that I ran around to the front and said, okay, everybody shift a little bit to the left. Oh, and right. so that was the one time where I was like, okay, there's six people here. Let's make yeah, sure we get it right. Sure, right. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, that's good. Yeah. Well, that's fun. So oh, you want to do that again, or do you have another project? Well, that's, I would love to refine that and be able to do it again someplace here in town. We got, everybody had really positive responses. We even had people that came just to come to that. They came and yeah. braved Chinatown ch summer nights just to come to that show, which I felt really honored by. Right. Um, but I do have other projects that we're working on. Yeah, that, we'll that is a thing, too. I mean, that, <laughs> that's a good point. I mean, that... that Having it on summer nights is problematic. I mean, it could be good if you people just trip in, but that's not likely. Yeah, well, I think we had a, quite a, a number of people who came in that just 
they happened to stop in. Really? Which yeah. was yeah. great. And they were really they were really interested and fascinated. But then we also had a pretty large selection of people who I think came specifically to see mm-hmm. that. Right. And they were mostly people, I think, from the experimental art community that Automata, Automata reaches time. out to. You say Automata, <laughs> I say Automata. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'd be I'd be interested in doing it again, especially if there was some sort of um, financial help for it. Well, sure. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, good. All right. So, um, where do we learn more about you and your stuff? Yeah, you can find out more about this project at physicalphotographyobjects.com, and my website is mrjonathanpotter.com. M R Jonathanpotter.com. Very well. Cool, yeah. And so the commercial work you do, you do film, and I, I look briefly on your site. But yeah. You, yeah. Well, are you a cyclist? I see you do cycling. Yeah, yeah. Now. So I spent about five years doing PR and photography and video for a professional cycling team oh. um, that is no longer in existence, but it was a United States-based cycling team, and we also had raced in Europe and Japan and Asia. Now you race yourself. Are I you, used to, yeah. In college I raced a little bit. Not very well, which is why <laughs> I ended up doing other no things. Tour de France but, uh, for no, you. no. Yeah, so and the, the photography that I focus on now, photography and video both, are process and um, performance documentation for theater and dance. Right, I so. noticed that. And that's cool. So that that's a great specialization because that's, that's not easy to do. It is. It can be challenging. Yeah. I... It can be challenging. Yeah, I always... Well, for two reasons. One is the environment that you're having to shoot in, but also the demand of the theater people. Yeah. I'm very familiar with theater people in this regard for reasons that will go unnamed. But, yeah, I mean, you know, you're, you're, it's quite pressurized to deliver the, the visuals that they have in their head. Yeah. Even though they're not sitting in the audience. It's really true. And it's, I, I would like to believe that most of the people I work with understand that it's a negotiation and that the image making is its own art. Um, and I think some people are into that. Some people aren't into that. And that's cool. Like they can find a different photographer, but you know, like I think, I think that working with companies who view process the process of making their piece as important also understand where I'm coming from when the process of making the images is also important and that's a, that's a different art form than just representing yeah. something in a proscenium. Right. So it's, it's a, but it's, I, I mean, I love it. I get a chance to work with cool people. I don't have to put up lights. I just get to oh, show yeah, up and right. shoot yeah, and like, yeah, somebody else takes care of the architecture. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> That's so, so, and yeah. you've shot, I will the, encourage people to go look at your site because the work I saw on, in that regard on the theater stuff is very cool. And, uh, you know, wish you all the success, more Thanks. success with that. And I, what else can we plug? Anything else? I think that's about it. That's I think if you're interested in photography, specifically analog or alternative stuff, I'm going to try and start doing a series of workshops, I think. If I'm able to continue using the automata space, we might start doing some photo workshops that are like alternative process, film developing, you know, cyanotypes, different printing ideas, um, that kind of stuff. So if you're into weird photo projects, 
All right, so they should, and they should just follow you on, or what are your uh, oh, yeah. Instagram Instagram is Mr. Jonathan Potter. Yeah, at okay. Mr. Jonathan Potter. That's going to be the best way to find me. Yeah, and, and that's when you, when do you think you might put something like that together? I'm hoping that after the response of this project, we'll hopefully be able to get some workshops together in the next few months. So, Perfect. Yeah, fingers crossed. All right, excellent. Well, thank you so much for coming in. <laughs> thank you for having me. This is really no, fun. I feel no, really honored. Like, bad, it's that's cool. cool. Like, looking back at some of the other guests that have been on, I'm just like, this is sweet. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I really appreciate it. Well, no problem. You've been listening to A.G. Geiger Presents, Tales from the L.A. Art Underworld. My guest tonight was photographer Jonathan Potter. You can learn more about Jonathan at mrjonathanpotter.com. That's Mr. M-R, jonathanpotter.com. And see some of the outcomes from Beyond the Visual, the project he was describing tonight, at physicalphotographyobjects.com. He's also planning analog photo workshops, and the best place to find out about that would be via his Instagram, which is Mr. Jonathan Potter. A.G. Geiger Presents is produced by me, Michael Delgado, in conjunction with the Mayfair Hotel, music and artist management company Regime 72, and A.G. Geiger Fine Art Books. Check us out at MayfairLA.com, Regime72.com, and of course, AGGeiger.com. Thanks for listening.